Welcome to the Nature Reliance Podcast, where we explore the history and practical experience of the great outdoors and discover new ways to connect with nature. I'm Craig Cottle, your guide through the fascinating world of natural living and survival skills through experiential education and interviews. Today's episode is brought to you by the Nature Reliance School Online Membership, an immersive online learning experience designed for outdoor enthusiasts just like you. Are you passionate about the outdoors? Do you crave more knowledge about disaster readiness, wilderness survival, bushcraft, tracking, and nature awareness? If so, the Nature Reliance School online membership is your gateway to a community of like-minded individuals, all dedicated to learning and sharing essential outdoor skills. With the Nature Reliance School online membership, you get exclusive access to a wealth of resources, including expert-led tutorials, interactive webinars, and a library of engaging courses, downloadable books, and documents. Whether you're a beginner or an experienced outdoorsman, there's always something new to learn. So don't wait. Click on the link below to join the Nature Reliance School online membership today. Embrace the wilderness, enhance your skills, and become part of a community that values nature as much as you do. Now, let's dive into today's episode. podcast everybody this is Craig Cottle director of Nature Blind School three o'clock in the morning as I record this I awoke from I don't know if it was a deep sleep or not but I woke straight up and came straight to this book and started reading well actually rereading some things that I would like to share with you this morning so whenever you're listening to it in the morning in the afternoon or in the evening I hope you enjoy it We've done several different things with the podcast, and one thing that we have not visited in a long time is reading about our frontiersmen ancestors. Tracy and I were talking about the other day about figuring out how to read and discuss some things from history, uh, long history, uh, near modern history, and gathering lessons from them. And Tracy's got a fantastic podcast coming up. Uh, He's been doing some research and and showed me some research opportunities, and I'm really looking forward to it. So until we hear that one, here's one I thought I would share with you now. It's about probably one of my most favorite characters on the frontier of Kentucky, what we know now as Kentucky. I'm taking what I'm reading today from a book written by Edna Kenton. Sorry. Edna Kenton. The title of the book is Simon Kenton, His Life in Period 1755 through 1836. Edna was a relative of Simon's, and he was an admirable character from my estimation. And some of the things that I'll be reading to you today, I think you'll see why I feel that way. I'm only going to be sharing a few little tidbits from chapter one. Uh, I highly recommend this book. There's a good chance I'll read some more of it because, again, I've f- always been a big fan of Simon Kenton. Well, I haven't always been a big fan. I didn't really know who Simon Kenton was all the way through high school. I took Kentucky history at the University of Kentucky, probably one of the most eye-opening courses I've ever taken in my life. Uh, it supercharged me to be an amateur, Very. let's be very clear here, an amateur historian, meaning I like to read 
uh, local history. I like to read the history of Kentucky to better come to an understanding of what it is that is my history, and particularly as it relates to how people interacted with the world around them, particularly the environment here in Kentucky. This is going to start on chapter one, page one. I'll read a little bit there, and then I'll share with you some thoughts from it. And then I'll pick some other pieces later on in chapter one and share those thoughts as well. Chapter one, Kentucky, the strange land. To the south of the winding Ohio, along nearly 800 of the 1,100 miles of its length, lies the ancient cave-pierced land now called Kentucky, once called the breathing land, the middle ground, the neutral space, the sacred soil. Shaped by its natural boundaries like the half of a great oak leaf, it is today, except for the imaginary line that separates it from Tennessee, just what it was when its first map was drawn in 1755. On the right-angled east, the Pine and Cumberland Mountains and the Big Sandy River, on the narrow west, the Mississippi, and on the convolute north, the white-capped Ohio, constantly in its course, returning upon itself to flow repeatedly toward every point of the compass, yet all the while flowing irresistibly westward, key river of all the colonial east, to the Missouri-Mississippi and the great west beyond. Man, love it. That's stepping out of the book. Now we're talking Craig Cottle style here, okay? I read stuff like that, and I'm absolutely fascinated by writing and know that it's a craft that I have not mastered by a long shot. Most of the stuff that I write is educational material, but I can actually feel the maps. I can feel and see the land. I see the description, and it just gives me, and this is just the intro you are, just chapter one. This is barely scratching the surface of what Edna Kittenen does here. I think it's an indicator for all of us of things that most people in a certain day and time back in the day maybe had more situational awareness than we typically do. They paid more attention to their surroundings. They looked at the rivers. And this this one line right here, right here, just sums it up for me. The narrow west of the Mississippi and on the convalent north of white-capped Ohio, constantly in its course, returning upon itself to flow repeatedly toward every point of the compass, yet all the while flowing irresistibly westward. That line right there just tears me up. I love it. Because that is the Ohio River. The Shawnee called the Spelay with a P. I believe that's how you say it. But here's the thing. If you're if you've ever paddled or been on that river, that's what it's like. It's constantly you, you never know where the compass is going to be pointing. It's going to be going this way, this way, that way, here, there, everywhere. But it's going to be it's almost like it's being pulled. And if you're on it, it's like you are being pulled to the great Mississippi. So that's the stage of the area of where we're going to be starting our reading here. Now, I'm going to move down to a few pages. And what we're reading here, and I'm, or what I'm reading here, comes from page 7. And it's a little bit about one of the journals that was written early on during the exploration of Kentucky. Page 7, about halfway down the page. 
But time prolonged the dream, made poets of the pioneers. Colonel Richard Henderson's Journal of an Expedition to the Kentucky in 1775. That's a book you all let me let me make that clear. Here's the title of the book, or his journal at least. Journal of, of an Expedition to Kentucky in 1775. Kentucky spelled C-A-N-T-U-C-K-E-Y, which I always find that interesting too. The story of the building of Boonesboro is the first record of daily living in a Kentucky settlement that we have. It is the journal of a man with first, mostly brief and to the point. For example, his entry for Saturday, May 13th, opens with this practical observation. No scouring of floors, sweeping of yards, or scalding of bedsteads here. And that's it. Then the mood of Kentucky falls suddenly upon him, and he writes thus. Through the dream breaks a little at the end. What I'm reading now comes directly from the journal. About 50 yards from the river behind my camp and a fine spring a little to the west stands one of the finest elms that perhaps nature has ever produced. The tree is produced on a beautiful plain surrounded by a tough or a turf of fine white clover forming a green to the very stock. The trunk is about four feet through to the first branches, which are about nine feet from the ground. From thence it regularly extends its large branches on every side at such equal distances as to form the most beautiful tree the imagination can suggest. The diameter of the branches from the extreme end is 100 feet, and every fair day it describes a semicircle in the heavenly green around, it upwards of 400 feet in circumference. At any time between the hours of 10 and 2, 100 persons may commodiously seat themselves under the branches. The divine tree are rather one of the many proofs of the existence from all the eternity of its divine author is to be our church, council chamber, etc. Having many things on our hands, we have not had time to erect a pulpit, seats, etc., but hope, by Sunday seven night, to perform divine services in a public manner, and that to set of scoundrels who scarcely believe in God or fear a devil, if we are to judge from the most of their looks, words, or actions. So, what Colonel Henderson is describing here is a big monster elm tree. This elm tree is, for those of us, and, and for those that are listening to me, Craig Cottle, Director of Nature Line School, you're wondering why this topic may interest me. Let me give you some background information. Fort Boonesboro, that was mentioned here, uh, I actually did some work there when I was a kid making flint and steel fires. Um, I have an uncle that probably has retired from there last year, but he's worked there for the last 20 years doing innumerable things there. I've got other uncles and my dad who have done reenacting there. I've done reenacting there. For a long time, the pouches that were sewed in the shop, the leather-made pouches, were made by my dad. Just got a lot of history with Boonesboro, all right? Uh, it, it's always intrigued me. It's a state park, what it is now, but it's always intrigued me, the history of it, because it's actually in Madison County, Kentucky, but it's so close to Clark County, more closer to Winchester than it is to central Richmond. Therefore, uh, even though it's in Madison County, those of us in Winchester kind of take a lot of ownership with it, I suppose. But it's a, it's a unique place. It is the second settlement that was here in Kentucky, Fort Herod being the first 
which turned into Harrisburg. But this elm tree was special, and there's a lot of debate and discussion among local historians and the Historical Preservation Society here in Kentucky of exactly where the fort was. There would be some that would wholeheartedly disagree with where the plaque stands now that states this is where the fort was, because where you see the state park fort that's rebuilt now, it's a different location where they say the fort was, and even local historians think that is wrong and different, and they placed it in the wrong place. The place where this elm stood, I was taken by the landowner to that location at one point in time and said this is where it was, and there were some remnants of an old tree there, obviously an old growth tree. It was You could see the mound there. And it was very indicative of where it could have been. That is a really cool place. And, and I don't, you know, it's on private land, so I don't want to discuss where that was. But but uh, it's nearby where the fort is. And if you read any of the descriptions of Boonesboro and place yourself where I was taken to, it makes perfect sense. If you read the description of Boonesboro where the plaque stands, it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't add up. Who knows? And quite frankly, who cares? The point of this reading here of what I want to share with you is this elm tree and how important it was to these people. It was a meeting place, not just for church and and religious services. It was a meeting place where court was held. Uh, weddings were held after Boonesboro was built. There was so much done under this this fantastic elm tree. And me being a tree geek, I find it very interesting. Kind of tied into it, if you will. We all have trees that, or most of us have trees that we remember from our childhood, maybe. There's several that I had growing up that some that I would sleep out in, camp out. Some, there, there's a tree that I used to camp out in. I would sleep on the branches and, and sleep in it at night. It's a wonder I didn't fall and break my neck. There may be a tree like that that you know of that you've eaten lunch under during a grouse hunt. Or you get in out of the weather the wind and the rain when you're on a deer hunt. Or you remember hiking sometime and you saw this big monster beech tree. They're just tree trees are just really cool things. The Cherokee called trees the standing people. And not standing from the fact that they're tall and they're bigger than us, but standing that they literally stand their ground. They get all the resources they need from one spot. And so they stand there. And that's kind of the thought of this the way the Cherokee looked at trees. They're just incredible pieces of what it is that is our environment, and there's a lot of inspiration inspiration that can be gathered from. So moving on, let's get into some of these characters, and then I'll be done with this podcast. Moving on down in this book, and again, Simon Kenton, his life and period, 1755 to 1836. If Simon Kenton interests you, and after I read what I'm getting ready to read, maybe it will, and I hope it does, you'll pick up this book. It's it's a good one, you all. It's a real good one. Looking at page 10 now, I'll read and I'll share some as we go along and try to make it clear where it's the book and where it's me. We'll be back after a quick break. Hey, guys and gals, a quick break in our episode to talk about a game changer in outdoor cooking, the Fire Maple Backpacking and Camping Stove System. Whether you're hiking, fishing, or even prepping for emergencies, this portable pot and jet burner is a must-have in your gear. Best part? 
it's nearly half the price of a comparable Jetboil stove system. Thanks to its leading heat exchange technology, you'll experience reduced boiling times by up to 30% compared to traditional stoves, even in windy conditions. That means more time enjoying the outdoors and less time cooking. Are you ready to upgrade your outdoor cooking game? Click the link in the description now to grab yours. Trust me, your outdoor adventures will never be the same. Time took her time to strengthen the legend and to breed her men against the day she would need them to play their parts in the prologue to the great western drama. There were little prompt premonitory shivers of the curtain. Premonitory, that is, if the significance of coincidences could have been read at that moment. Wise men have said that if there are conjunctions in the heavens which astrologers can read, there are also conjunctions on earth whose signs and portents show themselves later to have been as marvelous as any in the sky. Certainly, in two mid-18th century years, Kentucky Star was the ascendant in the East. The 17, in 1752, George Rogers Clark was born, and in that year, John Finley, trader with Thomas Kenton on the Ohio, entered Kentucky and marveled. In 1755, birth year of Simon Kenton, and in the first map of Kentucky, Finley, out with Braddock's army, met Daniel Boone, 21-year-old wagoneer and blacksmith for the North Carolina frontiersmen who had come up to do their part in the French and Indian War. From Finley, Boone first heard of Kentucky, and together they traced out a little picture map of the probable route from Boone's home to it. Twelve years later, never losing the vision of the fabled land, he tried to find it but failed. A year later, Finley, itinerant land peddler then, knocked, as we say, by accident on Boone's Yadkin River door and in 1769 guided him through the Cumberland Gap into the Golden Land. Two years later, Simon Kenton, 16-year-old fugitive from Virginia, heard the story of Kentucky's cane lands from one who could tell it from the Indian side, a white captive who had hunted happily with his friendly captors in the middle ground. The same year he entered it and succumbed to its spell. Four years were to pass before George Rogers Clark came down the Ohio, but by 1775 all three were in their own country, fashioned full-statured for their period and come at the proper season. Kentucky's three men were very dissimilar, but each indispensable for her quick growth. She needed from her beginning an organizer of her sunder resources. I'll stop there, and then I'll get back to that. Hopefully you're starting to see how these, I call them characters, but these actual human people started to play a role in the development of what is to become Kentucky, where I have been born and raised and lived my entire life. And as I was discussing yesterday with someone, I am so thankful as I've gotten older to have been born and raised in a state that has just just such a rich history and such a rich land full of resources. I mean, it's incredible, the state of Kentucky. Kentucky often gets lumped into Appalachia. I've been watching this show's all these different characters, if you will, these people from Appalachia, poor people. 
makes us out to be hillbillies and all that stuff. I think it's important to read that history, to understand that history, to watch that history and understand it as well, because that is who we are as well. But at the same time, we can't ignore what it is that's here, that's here in Kentucky. For those of you who are listening that are not from Kentucky, never visited, then come on down. We'd love to have you. Come on down for a visit. Please. We love our resources here. We'd love to share a, a plate of biscuits and gravy with you, that's for sure. Uh, we'd love to show you where the horses roam, and and I would love to personally. What I do is I would love to show you the woods, the trees, the rocks, the car systems, the caves, the shelters, the wildlife. It's fantastic. Thinking of it now, I feel very comfortable and blessed with what it is that I've been born and raised in, and I just can't imagine the resources back when these men were visiting and starting exploration of what is now known as Kentucky. And yeah, I think Edna Kittenen does a fantastic job here of trying to describe what it was that Kentucky needed. And she does an excellent job recognizing that looking into the heavens, looking into the skies, there are stars that guided people and guided ancient peoples, if you will, to different locations. And there were men that came through Kentucky that were like those stars too. And they each had their own place and their own role, and they did certain things that helped form what it is that we now know as the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Kentucky's not a state, if you weren't aware, it's a Commonwealth. So let me read these three things a little bit more in detail. I'll back up a little bit and read a little bit from before. Kentucky's three men were very dissimilar types, but each indispensable for her quick growth. She needed from her beginning an organizer of her slender resources, an intermediary between her and the East, a forevisioner of her measureless importance in the measureless destiny of the West, a practical general of her affairs in the large. All this she found in George Rogers Clark. George Rogers Clark is the name of the high school that I graduated from. I played baseball at George Rogers Clark High School. Uh, I was co-captain of the baseball team there. I regret to say I did not really know much about George Rogers Clark until I went to college and studied Kentucky history. It was a requirement back then. I don't know if it's a requirement now, but middle schoolers in eighth grade here in Kentucky back when I was attending school had to have a semester, I believe it was. Maybe it was a full year. I can't remember of Kentucky history. And I took that at Concrete Junior High with Arnold Slusher was my teacher. He was not the best instructor. He was a nice gentleman, but he just didn't turn me on to Kentucky history. History was not something I found much interest in. For those that know me would find that might maybe a little bit interesting. I just didn't find a lot of history interesting in high school. And I certainly wish that I did because there were some excellent history instructors there. But when I got to college and I took required history courses, I took world history, and then I took Kentucky history as an elective. And my professor at the University of Kentucky, I'll tell you a story about my professor at the University of Kentucky. This is one of those things that just absolutely turned me on to higher education. We took our seats first day of college, or first day of class, and he went through the row. And there was only like 15 of us in this class, which is weird at the University of Kentucky at that time, the early classes, because there were classes I took had 200, 300 people in them at times. This class only had like 15 people in it. As he went down the row, he said, 
when I call your name, please tell me if you're from Kentucky. And so when he got to me, it wasn't very far into class because my last name is Cottle, right? And he and I said, Cottle. He said, oh, that's a, and I said, I'm from Kentucky. He said, oh, I know you're from Kentucky because <laughs> Cottle's a real prominent name in eastern Kentucky. And he said, where are you from? Told him I was from Winchester. And he said, so blah, blah, blah. And he started telling me my family history. He told me stuff I was not aware of that I went back and checked with my my uncles and my dad, and sure enough, he was right. And then he went through every student in that class that was from Kentucky and told them their family history as if he was their family biographer. And I thought, that there is a man to be admired and to look up to, a man who has dedicated his life to a subject, knows it as well as anybody. And that was Dr. Clotter, for those of you who know Kentucky historians. That was Dr. Clotter. He wrote the Encyclopedia of Kentucky. It's a fantastic resource. But George Rogers Clark was the name of the high school, and unfortunately, I didn't really know much about GRC. That's what we called the high school here in town, GRC. We didn't know much about GRC, or I didn't know much about GRC until I got to college and studied Kentucky history with Dr. Clotter. And I did a podcast before on George Rogers Clark and the Long Hunters. Uh, well worth your listen, so go back and check that one out. So I'll get back into the book here. When Kenton, when Edna Kenton, the writer of this book, is referring to she, she's talking about Kentucky, just to be clear. She needed a man who was himself a blend of the roving hunter and the farmer settler, a man who was a natural leader of rude frontiersmen, who could hold a primitive colony together, keep it harmonious, defend it, and feed it, and give generous aid to others. Unless the blend balanced, the man was useless. She found it in Daniel Boone. Daniel Boone's one of those guys. Okay, this is Craig again, uh, getting away from Edna's book. Daniel Boone's one of those guys that's legendary, if you will. Just legendary. And a lot of that is due to some newspaper articles that were written about him. They kind of built him up a little bit bigger than... Maybe he should have been. I was listening to a podcast recently on the art of manliness about Kit Carson. Has some stuff that's named after him in Richmond, Kentucky, which is nearby my hometown. And so it interested me. And so I listened to this podcast on Kit Carson and found the same thing out about Kit Carson. Some people ended up writing about him and made him out to be something that he just actually wasn't. It was actually kind of almost fictional the stuff that was written about him, and he did not like it. Boone was the same way. He did not like the things that were being written about him. He just wanted to be a frontiersman, and he was a wanderer, and he he's not much what I would consider much of a family man, and I always try to make that clear whenever I talk about Boone because I don't hold him in the greatest high regard because he abandoned his family on numerous occasions for long periods of time, and I just can't, I just can't wrap my mind around that. I'm not a huge fan of Boone. Uh, although, obviously, I acknowledge what it is that he did for the state of Kentucky. It's just, you can't ignore it. But uh, moving on into the book, we get to the character that I, I do find as being someone that I can really appreciate his history. Here's Edna again. She needed, too, a free agent, a man on his own, with the ability to adapt himself on the instant to whatever was and with a will to act by a golden rule, 
to perform the duty laid by a free man upon himself. She found him in Simon Kenton, and for 21 years he never failed himself on her. He was unique. He could take orders from others and give them to others. But he had a finer faculty. He could give himself orders and command himself to perform them. This is why, in the old records, his figure so amazingly stands out. Why, too, perhaps, in later records, it has sunk. A Napoleon or a Casabianca is never forgotten, but a man on his own hook, a phrase used over and over by his contemporaries to describe him, swims in his own sea, that is, his own time. His work is there, and there is his record. It is doubtful if there was a man, woman, or child living between the Kentucky and the Ohio rivers during the dangerous years, but owed to him at one time or another, if not life, at least the chance of escape from attack. As he rode or ran along the settlement trails, crying shill warning of an Indian raid, he always remembered what others forgot, that tireless watchfulness was the price of life. And until peace was made and the land was comfortable, he stayed at his self-appointed post, a guardian of the northern border. So that's going to be it for the reading today. Maybe I'll share, if y'all like this, I'll be sharing some more from this book because it's a fantastic book. But Kitten's an a, a, a interesting fellow. When it became time for him to settle down, he settled down. But until that time, for 21 years there on the frontier, he was he was something else. And he was what I like to call a servant. There's a lot of words that come up that I've utilized in my experiences or have been thrust into utilizing in my experiences. I grew up in a Baptist church, and the word deacon comes from the Greek dekonos, which is a word that means servant. I studied Japanese martial arts. What a combination, right? I studied Japanese martial arts for a long time. One of the things that attracted me to martial arts is the idea of samurai. Samurai, the Japanese word, means servant. When I had my dojo in Winchester teaching martial arts, I had a I had a scroll, a Japanese scroll that had Japanese writing on it on the front that said Riai, which is interconnectedness, how we're connected to one another as people, how we're interconnected to the community. I've carried that into, without a doubt, what it is that I do at Nature Reliance School. Connecting myself to the community, not allowing myself to be put on a pedestal like some people that run schools do. Being in a position where I can teach others, but also in the same position where I learn from those same people that I'm teaching. It is definitely a community at Nature Reliance School. We are part of the environment. The environment is not something that's over there. We, the environment is right here. Wherever you're living, where I live, whether we live in Chicago, whether we live in Appalachia, what a lot of you would probably say is Appalachia, but we here say Appalachia, and I'm happy to say it that way. We are in the environment, and we have in our effect, and I think Simon Kenton was a good person to look up to as it comes to his interaction. Now, what I mean by that is, man, he was, he was hell to pay on people that were his enemies. He would pay dearly for some of the losses he experienced it, and he would make others pay dearly for wronging him. But for 21 years, 
he tried to be as equal as he possibly could with those around him and work with people. Some would say he was a vicious killer of Native American people, and there's no doubt that he engaged in that activity. But at this point, that history is past. It's time to move forward. What can we learn from that? Can we learn how to work with others? Can we learn how to work with the environment? I'll leave that up to you. Until next time, this has been, again, I want to reiterate, I'm, these readings are coming from Edna Kenton's book. The title of the book is Simon Kenton, His Life in Period, 1755 through 1836. I picked it up on Amazon. Uh, let me see the press. It comes from Kessinger Publishing. On the back it has uh, Kessinger.net. But I'm pretty sure I picked this up off Amazon. Fantastic book. I've read it twice now. Uh, all the way through. It's just a fascinating reading about the Kentucky history, about the history of Simon Kenton in particular. So if you like this, then send us an email at podcast at naturereliance.org. Any feedback you want to give us, send to podcast at naturereliance.org. Best way to stay in connection with us is to get into our newsletter. Go to the website, naturereliance.org. Scroll on down to the bottom. You'll see an opportunity to get into the newsletter. We send out a newsletter every Monday, which has information just for newsletter recipients. as also some connections for classes and blogs and YouTube videos that we're doing. And there's always a deal in there. We always just put a deal in there just to be a, a thank you to the people that have given us their email. We don't want to get something and not give something in return. So thank you for that. So get into the newsletter. That's the best way to connect with us. It's going to be a very important aspect of what it is we do moving forward at Nature Reliance School. This has been Craig Cottle. Thanks to Tracy Tremble for his fantastic editing. He is the editor-in-chief of the podcast, so we really appreciate him. As always with Nature Reliance School, come on, join in. Let's learn together. That wraps up another fantastic episode of the Nature Reliance Podcast. I hope today's journey has inspired you to explore and connect with the natural world in new and exciting ways. Before I say goodbye, remember to check out the Nature Reliance School online membership. If today's episode sparked your interest in wilderness skills and outdoor adventures, this online community is the perfect place for you to start or continue your journey. You can currently sign up for a year for only $99 and get two months for free. Click the link below to discover a world of expert-led courses, engaging content, and a vibrant community eager to share their knowledge and experiences. Whether you're starting your outdoor journey or looking to deepen your existing skills, the Nature Reliance School online membership is here to guide you. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe for more adventures and share this podcast with your fellow nature enthusiasts. Until next time, come on, join in. Let's learn together.